We're going to have our Bible reading now, and Hazel's going to come up here, I hope. First reading is taken from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. It can be found on page 202 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, the Apostle Paul writes how we are no longer slaves to sin, but children and heirs of God, with the Holy Spirit living in us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. It can be found on page 62 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, after the angels announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, they journey to Bethlehem. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone, and a happy new year from me too. Would you... Join me as I just uh, pray before I begin. Father, we thank you, first of all, for bringing us safely to the beginning of this new year, which we commit to you now. Would you guide us through it and give us strength to face the challenges that will inevitably arise, reminding us that as your children, we can step out with confidence into the future knowing that you hold it in your hands for the benefit of ourselves and our loved ones. Amen. Well, as some of you may know, I became a Christian at Mission Jersey in 1989, up to which point I had lived for 39 years believing that I could happily make my way in life under my own steam relying on self-discipline to keep myself fit, hard work to provide material benefits, 
and a lovely wife and daughter who provided moral and loving support to a young man whose impatience really didn't deserve it. So, physical fitness, hard work, and family were the pillars of my life. And it was only when those pillars were shaken in various ways and all at the same time that I realized something was missing. God, as I discovered at Mission Jersey, where very wisely the organizers paired us with folk from churches in our parish. They just asked you, where do you live? St. Juan, we've got someone here from St. Juan. And that someone for me was Richard Renniff, who first brought me to this church in May 1989 and showed me the ropes, you know, which books to use, when to stand up, when to sit down, because I knew nothing. It was all alien to me. But one of the first things that impressed me when I came to this church was how diverse the congregation was with farmers, doctors, teachers, nurses, lawyers, accountants, retired folk, young families, children, civil servants, the well-off, the not-so-well-off. One large, vibrant and varied family connected closely and positively by one common faith, a living example, in fact, of the words St. Paul uses in Galatians 3, the paragraph just before uh, our reading, where he says, in Christ's family, there can be no distinction between Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all equal and in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that was a revolutionary and indeed dangerous notion for a Jewish leader like Paul to be promoting in a society where Jewish men began their day with the prayer, Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. So from the outset, those who followed Jesus and developed into the community of the church were radically countercultural, with ideas of equality, which upset a lot of people and soon led to their persecution, a persecution that, of course, continues to this day in a number of countries. In fact, you could say that persecution of one form or another is a sign that the kingdom of God is truly alive because the core message of the Bible will inevitably cause friction with society. And in Britain, while Christianity doesn't suffer physical persecution at this time, some evangelicals think that we should be ruffling more feathers rather than retreating into holy huddles and thereby proving that Dame Edna Everidge was right when she said that the main qualification to be an Anglican these days is that you have to be nice. In contrast, Paul contends 
that we simply have to recognize and accept through faith in Christ our status as children of God, whereupon we become heirs to the estate of heaven and all that implies a foretaste of it here on earth and of course infinitely more after our death. If you belong to Christ, he says, you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Now this promise, the original covenant with Abraham, was intended for the whole world and all believers can share in that covenant as descendants of Abraham. And the implications of this are unpacked in our short reading in Galatians 4 through the example of a wealthy man who dies leaving his estate to his young son who due to his age cannot own the estate directly but has to have guardians or trustees to do so for him until he reaches majority which will be the date set by his father in his will. Until that time, the son, even though he is a beneficiary, owns nothing and is beholden to his guardians. And in that sense, he is no different from a slave. And in the same way, says Paul, we, here referring to Abraham's direct descendants, the Jews, were in bondage to the elements of the world until such time as God the Father sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, therefore fully human, and born under law, born into a Jewish family, and therefore under the law of Moses, to redeem those under the law. You see, the Jews believed, and still do, that by following the letter of the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments basically, that they can be saved. But the Ten Commandments is not an exam. In the academic world, I think I'm right in saying that eight or even nine out of ten qualifies as a first, doesn't it? But our God is holy. You can only come into his presence if you too are holy and perfect. In trying to keep the Ten Commandments, we're not just aiming at a good score. There must be perfection, consistent 100% all the time. It's better to regard it perhaps like a windscreen, one fault, one crack, and the whole thing shatters. You've broken the lot. Sin, another concept that sits uncomfortably in today's society, can be described with an image from archery as missing the mark, even hitting the inner ring instead of the bullseye. Because to be holy, we have to hit the bullseye every single time. So if we're honest, we all know that no one can perfectly follow 
any law or rule that we may care to set ourselves. I mean, how many New Year's resolutions do we truly keep? So God needed to help us out. And he did so at just the right time, says Paul. Why he chose 2,000 years ago, we cannot exactly say. But the Roman Empire provided obvious advantages at the time. The facility of travel, peace generally within the empire, the widespread use of a single language, Greek at that time, the extensive diaspora of the Jews who had anticipated the arrival of their Messiah for centuries, but God chose to send his son at that time. And the verb used here to send is not the normal one, apostello, which means to commission, and from which we derive our word apostles. The word used here is ex apostolo, ek apostolo, emphasizing that God the Father was not only sending forth his Son, but sending him out of his presence in heaven. At the beginning of John's Gospel, we know that Christ, whom he describes there as the Word, was with God in the beginning, and that he was God, and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here in our reading is the reference to God the Father commissioning his Son and sending him forth and out on his great mission. And the goal of that great mission is summarized in verse 5, <coughs> to redeem those <coughs> excuse me, under law that we might receive the full rights of sons, and we can read daughters, of course. And there is a second great commission as Paul continues, and because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And the same word, ex apostolo, is used here. <clears throat> so God is sending out the third person of the Trinity, the spirit of his son, who calls out Abba, Father. So we see a loving God giving of himself his son first, followed by the Holy Spirit to save us so that we can call him Abba, Father, in a natural and intimate relationship. And our reading concludes, so you are no longer a slave, but a son and daughter. And since you are a son and daughter, God has made you also an heir. And heir here, meaning that we are, through God, co-heirs with the supreme heir, the Son, to the inheritance, which is salvation from our sins here on earth, the consequences of our constant missing of the mark, 
and eventually, of course, to all that heaven has in store for us. So returning to the example of the young son, the law marked him as a minor, but we now see how Christ has brought him to majority. We are no longer slaves and are free from the impossible task of trying to save ourselves by keeping laws perfectly and can appropriate through faith the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. The guardians and the trustees are no longer needed. They've been replaced by the Holy Spirit who is in our hearts and through whom we can cry out, Abba, Father, whenever we need him, which is more often than we might imagine. Uh, When I was in hospital uh, seven years ago to have my pacemaker fitted, my blood pressure shot up as I was being prepared for the surgery, and yet uh, just before I went in, a still small voice whispered to me, you are my child, and a calm uh, descended upon me along with the courage to continue with, with that procedure. It's the first time and only time uh, I've actually heard from God, but it came exactly at the right time when I needed it. And finally, um, I read the other day uh, in a newsletter from a Swedish church working in Ukraine that their local pastor had told them that since the war, secularism has been crushed in Ukraine. There are no atheists anymore. Everyone is praying. We all need God, and I just hope that the majority in our Western societies don't have to endure war to realize it. Amen. And a blessed new year to us all.